Um, all right, let's jump into our message this morning. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, we pick a theme for the year here at Meadowbrook Church. We named 2022 a year of pursuing peace. And some of that was just coming out of the last couple of years of pandemic and, and just with politics and everything. It didn't always feel super peaceful. And so it was us recognizing that there is a peace that God promises in Scripture. And yet at the same time, we recognize it's not automatic and we don't always walk in it all the time. And sometimes you walk in it and then something takes away your peace. And so a lot of our messages this year have been focusing on this in various ways. How do we know God's peace? How do we remain in God's peace? How do we give that peace away to others and walk in unity with other people, especially when we disagree? And so we've been focusing on these things. This fall, uh, we did a short series on our, our vision statement. Um, since then, I've just kind of been doing one-off messages. Uh, there wasn't quite enough time before Christmas to do a whole full fleshed out series. So these messages are all just primarily things actually that the Lord was stirring up in me during sabbatical. Um, just different things that he was teaching me along the way or reminding me of. And so, um, so there's just going to be a few more of these one-offs and then we'll be into some Christmas teaching before we know it. So our vision statement here at Meadowbrook Church is that we are here helping people take their next steps with Jesus. And uh, as a church, that is our, our job. We're here to help you figure out where you need to go next in your journey with Christ. And we focus on it upward, inward, and outward. Upward, taking our next steps in our depth of our communion and our knowledge and our connection with him. Inward, as we are being transformed and renewed by the Holy Spirit. And then outward, as we are loving others, serving others, sharing Jesus outside the church, etc. And so we see this moving in different directions. Today is more of an upward and an inward message. And uh, I mentioned last week, last week we talked about community and life together and how we need one another and what it is to walk with Jesus together, that we all have a personal relationship with Jesus. And yet at the same time, you also can't know Jesus outside of community. We need other people to understand Jesus and experience him fully. We are one part in a body and all the body parts need each other. And I mentioned Dietrich Bonhoeffer last week who wrote a book called Life Together. And Bonhoeffer, I guess, has just been on my mind. And uh, I really love biographies. I really, uh, that I never used to. I think I'm getting older and you have to or something. There's just something that shifts. You start to think about history a lot more and you start thinking about your own life more. But I, I really do love a good biography. And I'm just, I'm fascinated by people. I'm fascinated by what makes us tick, by, by what the events in our life do to form us into who we are. And, and, you know, how does childhood affect us as adults? And what lessons do we learn along the way? And what's our personality like? Like, I, I find that fascinating. Uh, and when I went back to school, that was a lot of what the kind of thing that I was focusing on. And so I, I really do love a good biography where you're sort of seeing someone's life from, from start maybe to finish. And, and what the major events of their lives were and the trauma that they went through and the, the struggles that they had to face and the things that they learned. And, and almost all of them have some element of overcoming rising above struggle, right? And the reason they all have that is because we all have that too, right? That's what life is, is that we encounter different difficulties and struggles, and we just love the inspirational story of how someone overcomes that. 
right? And that's the theme of almost every book out there. It's the theme of almost every movie out there is that there are hardships and difficulties. And the point of this movie is here's how the hero's going to overcome the difficulties. There is something about that persevering thing that touches something within us. And I really think the reason why it affects us so deeply is because that is something that affects all of us. And it affects us so deeply, I think, because that is what Jesus models for us. We know what perseverance is supposed to look like. And for us, most deeply, it looks like Jesus at the cross. And so I've been thinking about Bonhoeffer, and I've read Bonhoeffer's uh, biography. Here's a good one about him. If you're ever interested, it's called Bonhoeffer, Pastor, Martyr, Prophet, Spy. That's intriguing, right? That's a good job. That's a good title. And so Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany uh, when Hitler came to power. And when Hitler came to power in Germany, obviously the Holocaust was beginning. And very, very early, there was a lot of anti-Semitism coming on. And there was, uh, you know, legal things that were coming against the Jewish people. Um, People forget with Hitler, he was democratically elected. Like he didn't just steal power as a tyrant. He, the people wanted someone strong in there who was going to fix things. They were in the depression. Things were terrible. And so he came in kind of under the radar and he came in, you know, with a, a very strong message and everybody really appreciated him at the beginning. And then things began to get worse and worse and worse. But as he began to exert his power in certain ways, one of the things that he tried to do was take over the church where he said, uh, I, Hitler, am now the head of the church and you are not allowed to do these things. And I don't really want you preaching Jewish things, so I would rather you just focus on Jesus and ignore the Old Testament, and anyone who is of Jewish descent in the churches, you need to kick out, and he began to issue all these edicts, and so Bonhoeffer, with others, stood up and said no, and they said no, Jesus Christ, to be clear, is the head of the church. And although we honor the government, we don't honor the government when it orders us to do things that are blatantly against scripture. And so we're not going to kick believers of Jewish descent out of the church. And we're not going to let you tell us what we can preach and what we can't preach. And we're not throwing out half of the Bible. And so they stood up. They were called the Confessing Church. It was kind of a new movement. And they confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. And they they didn't go down that road. And so with that, Bonhoeffer kind of has to go into hiding. And and he became kind of a, a stench in the nostrils of the regime. And as things got worse and worse, as the cattle cars began filling with Jewish people being sent off to the camps, as the horror stories began to emerge, as the war was getting lost and and it just seemed like destruction was, was imminent for the German people, um, Bonhoeffer joined the resistance against Hitler. He was a pacifist. He didn't uh, engage in the violent side of it. But he passed messages along, and he began to to reach out to the allies to see what does peace look like, and is there a way that we can do this? So all of that was traitorous to Hitler's regime. So he was eventually caught. He was sent off to a concentration camp and then was eventually executed uh, by the Nazi regime. And so this is his story. And again, if you're looking for uh, just a fascinating read, I think he was like 38 when he died. And in those 38 years, he lived quite an incredible life. And one of the things that I think of always is that when he's in jail, his jailers, who were uh, Nazis, who were, um, you know, keeping a watch on him and and all these other criminals, uh, criminals in their mind anyway, uh, they were all commenting on this this Bonhoeffer, and they just said, he's, he, he loves us. Like he, he's not, other prisoners are rude to us or cold to us or, or, or just ignore us, but Bonhoeffer like loves us. He treats us well. He speaks well to us. And when the day came for his execution, um, a, a guard would later write that he, he looked in and he saw Bonhoeffer on his knees in his cell at his bed and just on his knees, just praying passionately. 
And he said, I've just never seen someone in my life so resigned to the will of God, whatever that will be for his life. And then perhaps praying, Lord, get me out of this, or perhaps praying, Lord, you know, give me the strength to get through this. But either way, praying constantly, Lord, let your will be done, and I will be in your will, and I will walk out your will, uh, whatever that looks like. And so um, he's one of the great heroes in the Christian church of the 20th century, and certainly, again, that theme of perseverance, triumphing over adversity. Um, He didn't ask to be born when he was born. He didn't ask to be born where he was born. He happened to be born in that time and in that place, and that was what they were facing at that time. I said that to some of you during COVID. We could have been born any time, but we were born here right now. And whatever we're facing, God has been okay with us facing it because he could have made us born 50 years ago or 50 years from now. Whatever we are facing, whatever times we are living in, as much as there are struggles in this world, we were called for such a time as this. We were called to be the church of Jesus Christ right now. And you were all called to be a part of that. Congratulations. Whatever we are facing, we will figure out, and we will face it together as the church always has. The people of God are a persevering people, and they have always managed to find a way to follow Jesus through whatever they are going through and trusting him and often finding joy and peace even in the midst of these struggles and trials. So let's take a look at our text this morning. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we are starting in verse 7. So Paul, previous to this, is talking about Jesus. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the light of God revealed in Christ. And then in verse 7, he says, But we have this treasure, Jesus, in jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So the Corinthian church is a church that is going through some stuff. In scripture. If you read 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, this is a church that's going through some stuff. There's all sorts of problems going on in this church. There's all sorts of struggle. There's all sorts of trials. And as you read through 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, they're not like small things. Like they are going through major stuff where there's factions in the church and people are fighting against each other. There's significant theological differences. There's major sin going on that is going unchecked. There's a lot of ego and people promoting 
agendas and trying to promote themselves, promoting their own gifts, promoting where Jesus is at work in their lives. And, and so they're having to actually excommunicate someone from the church and then figure out how to welcome them back in in love. And they're just wrestling through, again, yeah, theological questions and what does it mean to be the church? And when you read 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians in a row, you finish by reading it all and saying, this is a church that's going through some stuff. There's stuff going on here that is significant, and, and these books are the Spirit through Paul encouraging the church, this is the way through this. This is the way to love one another. This is the way to solve this problem. This is the way to figure out how to function together as a team and, and as a group and as a family. And so there's lots going on there, and yet throughout these books as well, there is this incredible hope all the way through it as Paul just continually brings them back to Jesus over and over and over again. So in the midst of your, you know, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos debates, he says, no, you follow Jesus. We're bringing it back to Jesus. And, and in the midst of how do we use our spiritual gifts, the gifts are there ultimately to build you up and to glorify Jesus. So it's not about you and your ego. It's about Jesus. And it's about loving one another in the name of Jesus. He constantly brings it back to Christ. He constantly brings it back to the gospel. And so in 2 Corinthians 4... He's talking about how Jesus has come and the gospel has come and we are being changed and he is at work and his light is shining through us and this is all a great, beautiful thing. In verse 7, he says, we have this treasure, we have Christ this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And so he says, Jesus here is the treasure, we are the jars of clay. And just this picture of clay jars, clay pots are just the normal, average, run-of-the-mill things. They're not fancy. Um, I think if we were writing it today, it would probably be something like, we have this treasure in Tupperware containers. Just something common that we all have. It's not fancy. You know, when you're doing Thanksgiving dinner, you're bringing out your nice china, right? You're not bringing out Tupperware. Um, and so that's what the, the jars of clay are. They were just the ordinary things. that You use it to store stuff. It would not be typical to store a treasure in a clay jar. That was not a, a cultural practice at the time. You would want your treasure out on display, right? You would want it on, on something nice. If you're going to display it, you'd have it on a nice stand or you'd have it on a nice platter. Paul says, we hold this treasure of Jesus in jars of clay. We are the jars of clay. And the whole passage and, and much of where he goes in 2 Corinthians is just his emphasis of who Jesus is and who we are. And just the reminder that we are not him, that we're not God. And, and that is something we need to be reminded of because since the Garden of Eden, we've been trying to be God. And so it's just something that needs to come back over and over and over again. Ultimately, we know we're not God, but we still struggle to be in charge. We struggle to get our own way. We struggle to, to control things. And, and so the constant reminder that Jesus Christ is Lord. We are these jars of clay. The treasure is there in us to show that it's God's power and not us. Right? It's not about how good we are. It's not about how gifted we are. It's not about what we bring to the table. If anything good and godly is happening in us, it's all him. And our job is to steward that and be faithful, but it's all him. It is him at work in us. And that actually, if we will let it, takes 100% of the pressure off anything. Right? Like we read at communion, it's his grace at work in us. It's his grace that's transforming. I don't transform myself. I don't make myself more like Jesus. It's his grace at work in us. Jesus is the treasure. We are the jars of clay. God says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another. 
God shares everything with his people, but not his glory. The glory he keeps for himself. And our job is to glorify him as well. That's part of what we live out. That's part of what we've acknowledged in Jeff this morning. Just a life that points to Jesus constantly. Paul talking about his troubles, verse 8 and 9 says, We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We used to sing, remember that song, Yes, 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 Lord? We used to sing, we sang that every Sunday for like 10 years in churches. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. That was literally the lyrics, just yes, Lord, over and over again. But there was a little bridge in there that came from this, that we are persecuted but not abandoned. We're struck down but not destroyed. So it's been in my head all week because I've been reading these words over and over again. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Um, Brilliant lyrics, just over and over and over. Um, I love this part of this passage because of two things. One, Paul is being perfectly honest about what he's struggling with. He's being perfectly honest about his struggles. He's not doing that word faith thing of like, no, everything's great, right? Everything's wonderful. And we're victory, you know, victorious in Jesus. We're overcomers all the time. Like he's not pretending that his problems aren't real. He's being authentic. He's being honest. He's saying, I feel hard pressed. I feel confused. I am persecuted. I am struck down. He's being honest about where he's at. And I love that he's being honest. I don't know if we always do that as Christians, right? We want to power through to the everything's wonderful or we don't want to share with people or we're worried about what people will think. Here's an apostle who's literally writing scripture saying, I'm confused sometimes. I'm confused. I don't get it. I don't get what God's up to all the time. So I love the authenticity and the honesty of him acknowledging the struggle, but he doesn't stay there. He acknowledges the struggle and then he moves into faith, right? So yes, I am confused at times, but I'm not despairing. Yes, I am struck down, but I am not destroyed. So he's acknowledging the reality of the struggle, and yet he's responding in faith. And that part is beautiful. To feel, I feel pressured, I feel confused, I feel persecuted, I feel struck down. Those are all very normal things. These are the types of things that people will say to me uh, when they're going through something. Maybe you have had these thoughts or said things like this. I've had enough, or I thought we were past this, whatever you're facing. This doesn't make any sense. I can't take the pressure. This isn't getting better. I'm feeling so confused. Why does this keep happening? I'm not sure how much more I can take. I'm just trying to do the right thing. Why are people so awful? This is harder than I thought it would be. And so you have maybe said some of those things, felt some of those things, or obviously things like that. And that's what Paul is doing. This is what pressure looks like. This is what perplexion, confusion looks like. We have times in our life where we don't know what God is up to. We have times in our life when it doesn't make sense. There's times in our lives we feel pressure. There is persecution that comes. We do feel struck down. So there's honesty in acknowledging what is happening, and yet it doesn't end there. Because from there, Paul leans fully on the sustaining power of God's strength and the sustaining power of God's grace. That even in the midst of whatever we are going through, and and Paul was always really honest about what he was going through, there is strength available for us that comes from the grace of God. And you don't always know that you're going to have it until you find yourself in a situation. I was talking to a family who was going through a rough time, and they just said, if you told me a year ago I would be handling this so well, honestly, I never would have believed you. And you go, well, right, because the grace of God isn't something you bank up. The grace of God is something that is there when you need it. His strength is there when you need strength. His power is there when you need the power. And it's often in our trials and in our weakness that he shows up in amazing ways. 
Verse 10 through 12, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. So the persecutions he's suffering, the beatings that he's taking, the death that he's ultimately going to die, that's what he's talking about. We suffer as Jesus suffered, and as that happens, we know that his life will ultimately be at work in us. We will ultimately be resurrected in him. His life is sustaining us as we go. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. That's the persecution so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. The Apostle Paul would make very clear, he wouldn't say it this way, this is how I'm saying it, but he would make very clear, he's like, you don't really want to be an apostle, guys. Everyone was jockeying for power and position. He would say the life of an apostle is not an exciting life. Like you get to see great things, no doubt, but you're persecuted like crazy. He said, we apostles were like being dragged into the arena at the end of the procession. We were like martyrs going to the slaughter. That's what the life of an apostle is like. So he's like, this persecution is at work in us. Death is at work in us. But we see God's grace, God's life working in you, church. And so he's encouraging the people as he is walking out what God has called him to do. And acknowledging in the midst of it, like we, we love polish. We love professionalism. Right? We love slickness. We love everything to look good and, and be good in every way. And, and we absolutely should bring our best to God. Absolutely, we should bring our best. But the Apostle Paul, it would, it's hinted at, it's not crystal clear in Scripture, but I think there's a strong case made that he really wasn't much of a public speaker. He wasn't really great at that. And he would say, I don't have any wise and persuasive words. I don't have that. He would be criticized. Oh, Paul's great at writing, but when he's in person, he's thoroughly unimpressive. That was one of the things the critics leveled at him. And so he was not, I think, a great speaker. And yet Paul, for him, that was not a disqualifying factor for being a public speaker in ministry. And I think today it probably would be, to be honest. But Paul, who didn't have these wise and persuasive words, who was unimpressive apparently in person, Paul said, that's great actually, because I didn't come with wise and persuasive words. I came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And because I came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, that's how you knew the gospel was from God and not just some smooth talker in the pulpit. And so we do this very differently. We love everything to be so polished and so perfect. And yet Paul would say, no, it's in our weakness that Jesus shows up the most. It's in our weakest spots that that's where his power is evident. It's when we don't have the answer. And again, as we read earlier in communion, like where is his grace at work in our lives? Because like you don't want Chris Walker as your pastor. You want the grace of God in Chris Walker as your pastor, right? You want the Holy Spirit to be your pastor through different leaders, right? Jeff, as he leads us in worship, the Spirit through Jeff is leading us in worship. Because Jeff and I and all the leaders here, we're all struggling. We're all sinful. We're all broken like anybody else. It's not about what we bring to the table. It's the Holy Spirit in us, just as it's the Holy Spirit in you. And so we need to always come back to that. It's not about, you know, that speaker is so polished or, or that worship leader is so um, amazing. It's like, no, let's not ever elevate the humans too much in this, right? We can be grateful. We can say thank you, but we are not elevating the humans beyond the grace of God and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Um, Even the cross of Jesus Christ and the life that Jesus lives out is God's power showing itself in weakness, not in strength. 
right? Jesus didn't come in traditional strength, right? We talk often about, you know, Jesus could have come as a conquering king. He could have come at the head of an army. He could have come on the clouds of glory of heaven and could have come showing off his power for the whole world to see all at once. And instead, we're going to get into this shortly in the calendar year, uh, comes as a baby, comes as a poor baby, comes out as, as a poor baby born out in the middle of nowhere, comes of a, a poor baby born out in the middle of nowhere to a, a nothing family with no connections and no prestige, comes in a, a land where it's just this, this small land that isn't the center of the world like Rome was at that time. He doesn't come with any wealth. He doesn't come with any you know, worldly influence. He doesn't come with any army. He doesn't come with any classic views of what you would expect strength to be. And then in the midst of all of that, he goes to a cross, right? Like what God allows themselves to die, right? What God allows themselves to die horribly? What God washes feet? What God puts others first? What God says, I'm going to live my life sacrificially, putting you first and ultimately dying for you. What kind of God does that? And we say, gratefully, our God does that. That's who our God is. And that's one of the reasons I know Christ is real. Because when I look at his life, I say, this is absolutely the best way to live. This is the way we all should be living. There is something in what he lives out and demonstrates where Christ, as he comes to earth, is not power hungry. He is not demanding things of his follower. He is not making it all about himself. He's doing the exact opposite. And then he's saying, follow after me and imitate my example. That's who our God is. And in the weakness of the cross, which Paul would say elsewhere was, is foolishness to this world, that is foolish that a God would do that to himself in the weakness of his death on the cross, that's the exact place where the great power of God is demonstrated the most. As God raises him from the dead. And as God raises him from the dead, all of that weakness gets overturned because God's power is at work. The cross is the meeting place of his grace and his power. And that's the same grace that is extended to you and me. Even if we're not literally going to a cross, that's the same blessing that is extended to us, that in our weakness, that in our sacrifice, that in our struggle, that's the place where God's power shows up the most. And Paul would say uh, elsewhere in Corinthians, uh, he would talk about his thorn in the flesh, right? You remember that passage. A thorn in the flesh came to me, he says. He doesn't tell us what that is. It's a metaphor, obviously. But the thorn in the flesh, he said, a messenger from Satan... It's speculated that this was a, perhaps a physical affliction, an illness. Perhaps it was people who were giving him a hard time. Perhaps it was persecution. Perhaps it was a sin he was struggling with. We really don't know the details. But Paul says, there's a thorn in my flesh, and it's driving me crazy. And I kept going to the Lord over and over again, saying, Lord, take this thorn away from me. Remove this thing from my life. Remove this tormenting, distracting, annoying thing from me. And that's not the answer that God gave. He said, Lord, take it away. But in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's power is not perfected in our strength or in our power. His power is made most perfect when we are weakest. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. 
If that's the place, Paul says, where I get his grace the most, where his spirit meets me the most, where he is at work in me the most, then I will boast in that weak place. And even if we're not boasting in every single trial we go through, how many times have we experienced, how many times have you heard someone going through something horrible and yet God's grace showing up in amazing ways, right? John Amir says he went through cancer, the ways in which God showed up. And not that you're thankful that you had it and not that you would ever do it again, but God's grace showed up in in incredible ways during that time. And we hear that story over and over and over again. When we are weak, that's when he shows his strength. Verse 13, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So that same spirit of faith. And again, Paul acknowledges the struggles. He acknowledges where he's feeling weak. I'm feeling persecuted. I am confused. I am struck down. He's acknowledging that, but he doesn't stop there. And if we're just stopping by complaining about our problems, then we are a whiny people indeed. And that was Israel's problem in the desert, right? They saw the problems and they were honest about the problems, but they never got to the point of faith. Right? They, they were complaining, complaining, complaining. And if you've heard me say before, it's no one's job to complain all the time. Right? If you're thinking you're wise because you can see all the problems with something, congratulations, you have a brain that works. Seeing the problems does not make us wise. Right? Anybody can do that. And it's easy to sit at the sidelines and throw stones at things. And it's easy to complain about our politicians or whatever. And I'm not saying we don't acknowledge the problems, but we have to get to the point of faith from there. Because just acknowledging the problems is not enough. And we talk often just about the power of words. And Paul says, hey, we believe, and because we believe, we speak, right? An arrangement of letters that make up words, and yet there's so much power in these letters as they come together. And we know the proverb that the tongue has the power of life and death, that the words we speak are incredibly powerful. So by all means, acknowledge the reality of I'm feeling struck down, but then rise up in faith and say, but I'm not destroyed. Right? Let faith also be at work, not just seeing what is wrong with things. Because if we're just speaking out the problem all the time, then we're missing it. And Israel got in trouble when they did that too much. And so we want to be those people in the same spirit of faith, rising up and speaking faith. People who speak faith, acknowledging the struggle, and then speaking faith into that situation as well as we pray and seek the Lord. Verse 16, 17, therefore, we do not lose heart. Isn't that a good one right there? Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He reframes everything in light of eternity. And so, yes, outwardly I'm being persecuted and attacked and struck down right now. But inwardly the Holy Spirit is at work. I have fresh grace every day. I am renewed. I am strengthened. Inwardly I see where God is strengthening me and giving me the ability to move forward. And so we do not lose heart. We don't quit. We keep going. We keep pushing through. We only lose if we quit. If we keep going, we are following in the footsteps of Jesus. We are keeping going in this direction. And when we think about that phrase, inwardly, we're being renewed day by day, the question for us then is, well, what does that look like for you? 
Where do you feel inwardly renewed? Where do you feel refreshed in your spirit? Where do you feel close to the Lord in your life? And, and if you're struggling with that, what's maybe a new way you can explore that? What's a new way you can reach out to the Lord? And maybe it's as simple as, you know what? I hear this over and over again, and it, it's, it's the most obvious thing in the world, and yet we need to hear it over and over again. If someone will say to me something like, you know, I was out of my Bible for a while, and now I'm getting back into my Bible, and it just feels so much better. And I hear that for 20 plus years, I've heard that over and over and over again. And, and there's seasons, and, and sometimes the Bible is easy to get into. Sometimes the Bible can be a bit more of a struggle, and, and it can be hard to find the habit of it or whatever. But it just seems inevitably true that when we get back into the Word, we get some of that inward renewal again. When we're connected with other believers, we get some of that inward renewal again. Uh, I've talked before about the different ways we connect with God. Some people connect with God out in nature, and that's a place to get some inward renewal. Some people connect with God in worship. That's a place to get some inward renewal. There's lots of different ways it can happen. But if we are struggling, and if we're feeling weak, and if we're in trial, the promise is there is inward renewal available for you. Our role is, where do I go meet the Lord so that that can happen? Where am I making some intentional effort to that end so that the inward renewal can happen? Come on up, worship team. We're just about done. So we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And if all I'm doing is fixing my eyes on my problems, it's going to be overwhelming. If all I'm doing is fixing my eyes on the, the perplexities of life, the confusion that Paul talks about, if I'm fixated on the pressure of life where I'm feeling hard-pressed on every side, if all I'm doing is fix, fixing my eyes on that, life is going to feel overwhelming. It's just, it's inevitable. If all I'm doing is speaking about those things, life is going to feel overwhelming. But we rise up in that spirit of faith. We speak faith. We, we acknowledge where God is at work, even as we're acknowledging the reality of our struggles. But ultimately, all of our things that we're facing here are temporary. Every single one of them. Every problem we face right now is temporary. Every single one. It will not last. One way or another, it will not last. And Paul says our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them. And, and not that it's earning it for us, but as we walk and persevere in the way of Jesus, we are being transformed by him. And, and Paul's troubles weren't really that light, right? He was facing death. He was facing imprisonment. He was facing crazy slander and persecution. And yet in light of who Jesus is, he was able to say all of this is light and all of it is temporary. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. The author of Hebrews would take up that same theme in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 and 3 and say, so we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sitting down at the right hand of God, that Jesus experienced weakness in his humanness, that Jesus experienced death on the cross. Jesus knew pain, he knew rejection, he knew loss, he knew confusion, he knew all of those things that we experience, and yet he did not sin. And so Jesus, who saw the cross and yet who for the joy set before him, the joy on the other side of it, was able to endure it and then sat down at the right hand of God because there is a day that comes when trials are all over, right? One way or another. Either the trial ends here on earth or we go and see Jesus. And when we see Jesus, there will be nothing to worry about there. 
And so there's a sitting down that happens in faith where we say, we're done. The, the struggle is over. We fix our eyes on what is eternal. And we remember the example of the one who has gone before us and who endured far more than we will ever endure and yet was strengthened by God to do it. If Jesus can do it, you can do it. If Jesus can do it, you can do it. And that is the hope that we have as we follow after him. Christ is eternal, and so we fix our eyes on what is eternal. So in terms of upward, inward, outward, next steps, and, and we always like to end our messages just reflecting on that a little bit. Upward and inward are tied into this. Um, where are you getting that inner renewal, right? And, and where do you meet with him in your life? And where does things like scripture and prayer, where are those things fitting? Because it is hard to imagine any inner renewal happening if we're not connecting and communing with him. If that's not happening, I don't know how the inner renewal happens. And so if we want to be inwardly renewed day by day, it's going to involve that upward connection to him. Where is scripture fitting in? Where is prayer fitting in? And then outwardly, where are other people fitting in? Because maybe you're not in a trial right now. And if you're not in a trial right now, congratulations. Your job is to help someone else who is. If you're in a good, strong place right now, then you reach your hand out to someone who needs some hand-holding right now. And if you're in that trial, then you grab onto someone's hand who's there to help you go through this because part of our job is to do this together and to strengthen one another as we walk after Jesus. And so next steps for you to think about this week, where am I connecting with him? Where is that inward renewal happening? And where can I connect with somebody else who either needs my help and my support or who I need their help and their support as we walk through these things together? Would you stand with me, please, as we get ready to close off in worship? We've talked about fixing our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. And that's what we're going to do. So for these next few minutes, we're going to forget about our problems. We're going to forget about the week to come. We're going to forget about anything that's worrying us or distracting us. We're going to fix our eyes on Jesus, and we're going to worship him this morning.